when we travel through countries of Europe today, we're often looking at sites that date from a time when those countries didn't exist yet. For example, in 1850, there was no Germany, just a collection of small German-speaking countries, each with their own distinct and rich heritage. The modern European powerhouse that we know today as Deutschland has been knit together from lands with many disparate influences. To help us better appreciate the regional variety within Germany, we're joined by historian Fabian Ruger. Fabian was born in the Rhineland, raised in Berlin, and is completing his Ph.D. in German history at Stanford University. Fabian, thanks for joining us. Thank you. When we think about traveling to Germany, a lot of travelers just think this is Germany. But when you go to Bavaria, for instance, you're looking at the uh, crown jewels of the Wittelsbach family that ruled Bavaria for 600 years. Tell us about the regions of Germany and what we should understand in order to properly understand our sightseeing there. To probably best understand it today is if you divide the country into a, a kind of mental grid. There's the old north-south divide between the Protestant and Catholic German lands, mm-hmm. um, the north being more Protestant historically and uh, the south being more Catholic. Mm-hmm. And that brought with it certain cultural traditions, um, you know, Catholics tend to have slightly better wine at their mass. That's at least what the Protestants said about them. And, of course, the uh, Catholics then uh, made similar jokes about the Protestants being very boring and not being able to really enjoy their lives. So Germans have this kind of cultural landscape from north to south. As a German, you think of the southern part more like uh, the difference between Italians and Germans, I suppose. More enjoyment of the moment and better wine and, and a little slower lifestyle. Yes, there is a mutual, um, I wouldn't say disrespect, but there is a acceptance of a mutual difference that has probably been historically formed. How does a Bavarian look at somebody who's from Hamburg in the north? See, the Bavarians are, you know, in many ways like Texans are uh, in the United States, that in their mental map of their country, Texas is the biggest state. So for Bavarians, Bavaria is Germany, and everything north of that are really the weird people, the Protestants. Whereas if you, you know, I went a little bit to school in, in northern Germany, and there they speak of what they call the uh, the white sausage border. That's uh, where people start eating white sausages. Ah. That's Bavaria. And so if you are, from the perspective of Hamburg, too far south of Hamburg, you are beyond the white sausage border. So And the Bavarians love their white sausage. Absolutely. <laughs> I've noticed that. I mean, I've, I never realized that the whole region was known as that's the zone of the white sausage. sausages. Yes. Fabian, we've got this north-south division, which is like north-south in a lot of countries. You've also got east-west. The east-west division is, of course, clearly the remnant of the Cold War. And we still have to see how long that division will remain a marker in German culture. So it is fading away, in other words? I think so, but it will last longer than we have anticipated it will. It's just been a couple of decades, and it's a huge economic undertaking for basically West Germany, the size of the state of Oregon, to incorporate East Germany and become the size of Montana and then invest in this horrible mess that the generations of communist rule left Eastern Germany and bring the infrastructure up to speed. Mm -hmm. But in my recent travels in in former Eastern Germany, I'm impressed that the infrastructure seems to be there now. Yes, the investments have been massive. There is now a feeling in in the western parts of the country that there should be an end to these investments. They have done their share. They've paid their dues. And in other words, no. it's time for the East Germans to start working hard and earning their keep. That's that's often the Western feeling now. I think it's just going to be a economic process that will take a little more time. Was it a good investment for Germany to take on the East and incorporate it into the uh, country at large? I guess that depends on the perspective. If you're an East German, definitely. 
if you're a West German, you might say maybe not so much, but in 30, 40 years, yes. It's interesting to me that Germany was united in 1870, and it was sort of a latecomer to the League of, of European Nations. And my reading of things was almost that the German intellectuals and, and the people pushing for the establishment of the modern German nation had to almost dream up mythological ancient roots of Germany to justify this nation. And they stirred all sorts of epic kind of poems up that made Germans feel like, yes, there always should have been a Germany. Like most nations in Europe, there's a projected past that is not invented, but that overemphasizes certain aspects of the cultural To past. legitimize your To legitimize the current uh, government or the current rulers. And of course, the Germans did that like most nations did in the 19th century, but they had to do it uh, with a very strong emphasis. And that's why they went back almost to Roman times and to Germanic tribes that never really were in any modern understanding German to claim that they were Germans, just like Portugal, for instance, claimed that they derived from the ancient Lusitanians who fought with the Romans, even though that is a completely made-up invention. The same is true for Germany. How does the fact that Germany was divided by the four victorious allies after World War II impact Germany today? You had a French zone, a Russian zone, a British zone, and an American zone. Each of the allied forces left in their areas, I think, strong cultural roots. There's certainly a much better taste for wine in the French zone. Americans left a very good taste for jazz, zones around Frankfurt. The British zone has a strong tendency to look, you know, across the channel and look more at Britain, for instance. Um, and interestingly, in some areas in the British zone, the system of government in the cities is slightly different and more along a British tradition. Huh. And those are certainly all, you and know, And the heritage remnants. of the Russian zone. Oh, the heritage of the Russian zone, I would say... Is more of an economic... Sort of an enthusiasm for communalism there, I suppose. Subsidized public transit and so on, or not? That's certainly true, but the West Germans have a, have a taste for that too, also, I think. Okay. Um, there is a, of course, stronger look towards Eastern Europe. And East Germans clearly understand, because of the Russian presence there for 40 years, Eastern Europe better than the West Germans. Okay, so the, the people who live in former Eastern Germany have closer ties and more empathy for and understanding of the Czechs, the Poles, the Hungarians, and, because they and were all together Russia. in the Warsaw Pact. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm talking with Fabian Ruger, and Fabian is uh, a Berliner who's joining us today to talk about the regional differences in Germany. Our phone number is 877-333-7425, and you can email us at radio at ricksteves.com. John's on the line from Painesville, Ohio. John, thanks for your call. Thank you for having me on, Rick. Um, I'm planning in my pre-planning phase of going to Germany next year. And I know where my family's from, and I'd like to know, they're, they're from Baden, and I believe the village is Munchweiler. And it's funny you were talking about the um, German unification, because my great-grandfather died in prison, being a Drugenier for the Bavarians. <laughs> I have an old picture of him, and I had it translated. How would I go about finding out something like that? First of all, what is a Drugenier? A dragoneer. A dragoneer. What is Fabian? What is that? Yes, that's a, it's a cavalryman, usually. Oh, yeah. so he was a cavalryman in the Bavarian army. Yes, and he died in prison. <laughs> well, there's probably a lot of people in prison in the middle of the 1800s <laughs> in Germany. And, okay. and so your question, John, is questions about ideas for visiting the Black Forest area. Yes. This is the area in Germany right along uh, the French border. Yes. And Fabian, how would you characterize that region? Um, it's beautiful. It's old. It's got a fantastic landscape. 
you know, in, in landscape terms, I would almost compare it to Vermont or Maine, hilly, foresty. Yeah, it's a fantastic aren't, place to aren't, visit. If some German is uh, just burned out and stressed out and a little bit depressed, don't a lot of doctors say, you need to go to the Schwarzwald? The oh, Black yes, Forest. very much so. You can actually get government funding to go take a month off and do the whole <laughs> spa thing in the Black Forest? Indeed. You convalesce in the Black That's Forest. That's what the Black Forest is perfect for. John, have you been there yet? I have not, but I'm going. I'm into family genealogy, and, and uh-huh. most of my family's from Germany. Great. Well, I'm sure you'll find a warm welcome there and lots of uh, excuses to relax. (laughs) I hope so. Um, And if you're looking for genealogical sources, um, every town in Germany has sort of a citizen registry. And that's where you might want to start if you want to do genealogical research to find out where your great-grandfather was. Would that be through uh, the city hall in the town? Yes, that's that's the way to start, and they'll certainly help you on from there. Well, John, you know a lot because you know your family left Munkweiler in the 1860s, and I'm sure you go to Munkweiler and and drop by the city hall. They're the rat house, and you can uh, make some connections. All right. Good luck on your travels, John. Thanks for your call. Thank you. And Dick's on the phone in San Anselmo, California. Dick, thanks for your call. Hi, Rick and uh, Fabian. Uh, Yeah, Fabian, I uh, was in uh, Germany for about 10 days in the fall of 2009, and my first stop was in uh, Dresden. Mm -hmm. And when I uh, got off the train and started wandering around, I thought perhaps I'd headed the wrong direction from Prague and ended up in Italy. I had a feeling I was actually in Italy instead of Germany. <laughs> and I'm wondering if you could comment on why I had this sort of illusion of being in the wrong country. <laughs> yeah, Dresden has the uh, fantastic old city architecture of a what seems really like a Renaissance city. It really feels like that. Um, the Saxonian kings built a wonderful place for themselves. So speaking of regions of Germany, this would have been like an independent country called Saxony exactly. with its own king, and his capital and palace would have been in Dresden. in Dresden. Yes. And for a little background, Dresden, of course, was firebombed in World War II. Wasn't that sort of tit-for-tat? Uh, Coventry was bombed or something, and Dresden right. was bombed. Yes. Because Coventry was a, a cultural and historic treasure in England. Dresden was a cultural historic treasure in Germany. Incredible firebomb, and the beautiful uh, Frauenkirche in Dresden, the cathedral there, was uh, destroyed, and with an international effort, rebuilt. We visited several years in a row. Just a, what a triumph for humanity yes. to come together That's on German soil, you know, the bad guys, and rebuild this incredible church in the interest of peace and let's all live together. Yes, absolutely. It was a wonderful effort, um, donations from the United States, from Great Britain, and from Germans together to rebuild. Now, I understand there's a little bit of controversy in Dresden because Dresden has chosen some sort of a modern bridge over its UNESCO World Heritage Site status. Right. The political problem there was that if you are elected a uh, chosen to be a UNESCO World Heritage Site, as the old city of Dresden was, then you must not change architecturally the old city. But the city of Dresden needed a new bridge for the citizens to cross the river with. And therefore, they had a pole in the city, and the citizens wanted a new bridge. Now, the UNESCO therefore decided that if that bridge actually gets built, Dresden must lose its UNESCO heritage status. So the United Nations was basically saying, stay cute, stay old, and we'll, we'll honor you with this status. And the local people said, no, we've got an economy to build. We need this bridge. Right. And consequently, it was democracy over quaint beauty. Exactly. And tourism, I suppose. Yes, well, maybe that's... not, because people have to get into Dresden, right. and it's a yeah. wonderful city. Right. 
and it's still beautiful despite a new bridge in the Dresden Valley. You, you know, you can travel there now and make up your own mind whether you think it has lost any of its beauty because of the new bridge. Well, I agree with Dick <laughs> in, in San Anselmo. Dresden is one of the great cities in all of Germany, wouldn't you say? Yes, and, and the thing that was puzzling to me is there seemed to be very few American tourists there. Uh, my guess is that most of them are blowing right through Dresden on the, on the Berlin, the Prague, train line and mm-hmm. not stopping at all. I, I, I stayed two nights and I thought, God, I should have I booked more time here. There's a number of great cities that a lot of people skip. Leipzig, Dresden, Nuremberg. I just love Nuremberg. Oh, beautiful. The old city of Nuremberg. And, and Nuremberg. now it's connected with a very fast train from yes, Munich. exactly. Yeah. Dick, thanks for your call. Bye-bye. Annette's on the line in Albany, Oregon. Annette, thanks for your call. Thank you. Well, I just wanted to recommend to any of your listeners bike touring in Germany. We've gone twice now in Bavaria and toured once along the Romantic Road and then a second time from uh, Bodensee to Konigsee, and it was just marvelous. The scenery is absolutely incredible, and the German people are just wonderfully welcoming uh, and friendly to bikers. It's such a nice way to get to meet people because you're much less intimidating when you're on a bicycle than when you're in a car or a bus. <laughs> Great advice, and Fabian, comments on biking in Germany. Oh, Germans are crazy about biking. They just love it. They would love everyone to use a bike, even though it produces a lot of cars. The whole country is becoming so more and more respectful of bikes that I think maybe for the first time that Germans are really respectful of the Dutch because the Dutch are even more obsessed with bikes and they wish they could all be a little bit more Dutch. Germans Uh, want to be more Dutch when it comes to bikes. (laughs) I know from my experience on the Danube River, on the Rhine River, and on the Mosul River, beautiful bike paths along the riverbank. There's this incredible network of bike paths all over the country. It's just amazing. And the times that you do have to go out on the road, the German drivers are very bike-aware and very, very respectful of bikers. Yes. Did you drink Apfel Shirley? That's my favorite. I don't drink <laughs> alcohol, so I'm a big Apfel Shirley. How did I know that? I just had a hunch <laughs> that you would love Apfel Shirley because that's my favorite when I don't want an alcoholic drink. I want something refreshing. Uh, apple juice is a little bit too sweet, but Apfel Shirley... Fabian, what is apple shirley? Apple shirley is um, a mixture of regular apple juice and the other half is uh, sparkling water. And it's a beautiful, refreshing drink anywhere in Germany and easy to say, fun to say. Apple shirley, bitte. <laughs> and my husband has gotten addicted to the Rodler, which is uh, 50% beer and 50% lemonade, yeah. which sounds absolutely horrible, but he said it's really great and refreshing and it doesn't interfere with your concentration when you're biking. Yes, and it's very, very healthy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Spoken by a German, I'll tell you right here. Annette, thanks for your call. Thank you. And happy biking next time you're in Germany. Thanks. Fabian, there's so much to talk about in Germany. It's a a fascinating and more diverse country than a lot of people would recognize. Talk just for a minute about the different historic regions and the loyalties and the dialects and so on that come with each of these regions. Oh, that's a long list. I'll I'll try to go through a few. Um, The northern Germans, which are very dear to my heart, over the centuries, part of the Hanseatic League, built beautiful, small trading cities, which give you a kind of a Dutch feeling. Uh, to the rest of the Germans, the northern Germans live on a flat land and also have this flat, sort of um, laid-back accent in their Germans. And what would the name of that region be? Schleswig-Holstein is okay. part of it, and then the north of former East Germany, Mecklenburg-Vorpommern. Okay. Um, so basically along the German coast. Uh, Up by Denmark. Exactly, south of Denmark, okay. along the German coast. Saxony, talk about Saxony. Saxony has an old and long history, pretty much like Bavaria, and has a, um, an accent that most Germans like to make fun of, but it is a very 
very funny and kind of uh, you know peaceful accent. Okay, if I'm um, from Saxony and you want to uh, make a character of my dialect, um, <laughs> um, look, that's a difficult one. I can do <laughs> I can do a better Northern German if you want me to. Okay. Um, if you say, for instance, I would like a beer, please, in German, in High German it would be Ich hätte gerne ein Bier. A Northern German would say Ich hätte gerne ein Bier. You can almost smell the sea in that sentence. Which, yeah, uh, which and it I sounds really almost like. a little bit Danish. Yes, it has and a... And then in Bavaria, how would you say with the Bavaria? Ich hätte gerne ein Bier. So High German? Ich hätte gerne ein Bier. Northern German? Ich hätte gerne ein Bier. Bavarian? Ich hätte gerne ein Bier. Swiss? Ich hätte gerne ein Bier. <laughs> so you can tell where somebody's from just yeah. by listening to him order a beer. Yes, and uh, the Northern German dialect is very popular actually among non-Northern Germans. Bavaria is really almost a country unto itself with a very strong patriotism for Bavaria. And the other Germans are therefore sort of, they sometimes feel a bit overwhelmed by Bavarians. So if you talk to a Bavarian and you say, where are you from? He's more likely to say his region rather than Germany. When, you know, speaking to people from other countries, they would, of course, say, we're Germans, we're from Bavaria. Okay. And it's, you know, it's, it's very similar in a, in a way to, to Texans, As who said. would say, uh, yeah. you know, we're, we're Texans. Well, Texans and are more likely to have a T-shirt with the Lone Star State on it. And I suppose Bavarians would be more likely to have yes. their Bavarian colors. Yes. It's the blue and white checkers. It's the blue and white, and they, you know, might even wear lederhosen, which you do not wear really outside of Bavaria. Oh, lederhosen is exclusively Bavarian. Almost exclusively, All yes. right. Fabian Ruger, we're learning about Germany. Thanks so much for joining us. Ich hätte gerne ein Bier. Say that again. Ich hätte gerne ein Bier. Danke. Rick Steves has spent a third of his adult life in Europe researching and writing guidebooks. His classic, Europe Through the Back Door, freshly updated this year, teaches the skills of smart travel. At Rick Steves' online travel store, you'll also find guidebooks and phrasebooks for Germany, Austria, Switzerland, and every other corner of Europe. To learn more about Rick's books, visit the travel store at ricksteves.com. <laughs>